This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. You know, it strikes me in, in talk, talking about this that it, that there's an odd disconnect, in other words, in this way. You know, when a family goes through an illness, you know, that enters into the family, say someone gets cancer or something like that, and you watch people rally around that, there's almost a natural thing that happens when that happens, the way people rally around, the way in which a small group comes forward, you know, does the meal plans, all that kind of thing. Uh, it, it's like we have this default capability that we can fall into, mm-hmm. if, if you want to think of it that way. And people go there pretty naturally when it's a physical illness and we know um, you know, someone's going to be sick for a while, they're headed for surgery or they're headed for chemo or whatever. Uh, that we seem to be able to handle. But when, it, when it's in a special needs area, all of a sudden it's like, I don't know what that bridge looks like, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yet the process, mm-hmm. I take it, is actually pretty similar. It's just that the long, it, it, it's more long range. Mm-hmm. I think that's the ways. key. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what scares people away mm-hmm. is that this isn't something that we can say, okay, chemo's going to last for six months and then everything's going to be okay because mm-hmm. we like the happy ending of that's the story. That's exactly right. Yeah. But whenever you're looking at it and saying, okay, this baby was born with spina bifida and they have a road ahead of them 18, 20, you know, 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. How are we, how are we going to be able to support this family? It's tiring to think about it, mm-hmm. and that's where I try to tell um, people who are asking how to help: take it day by day. Mm-hmm. Don't look and say, "What am I going to be able to do for them in ten years?" Because that makes me exhausted. Mm-hmm. It's thinking, "Okay, today I'm going to the grocery store. I have you know extra time. Could I pick up something for you? Mm-hmm. Do you need milk? Can I drop mm-hmm. it off?" Maybe next week you're going out with your kids and you could take another child with you. Can I take you know, the sibling out with us so that you can have some time just to rest? It's those little things. It's not trying to bite off the whole elephant. Right. It's biting the little piece, one piece at a time, and that just naturally becomes that relationship that is built, that we go back to relationship and to love and just taking it step by step. Yeah, and the hard part of this I would take it is uh, is – Whereas for the person who comes alongside and help, they can kind of step in and out of the situation and there's an mm-hmm. escape, if I can mm-hmm. put it that way. For the person who's in the middle of it, who's right next to them, there is no escape. Mm-hmm. That is where you are. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, and that's what's over – I mean, if you think it's overwhelming to be a friend right, of someone, right, exactly. it's even more so overwhelming to be the parent. But to have that outside support where you can escape for even a little bit or just someone to come in and take one load off every once in a while does a world of difference for their well-being and for their outlook on life and for feeling like they're not in this alone. Yeah, we have in our small group one couple that has a special needs child. In fact, we were just with them this weekend celebrating 
uh, Christmas together with the parents, and they were talking about, I think, you know, I hadn't even thought about this, but they're taking, talking about taking this child who's approaching teenage years out on an outing to a special needs, I guess it was a special needs barn where they where they ride horses, mm-hmm. and they're like, they were describing the process of what it takes to get this child up on a horse so they can have some semblance of an experience like this, and I'm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm. You know, it's it's thirty miles away. You know, you have to plan it. You know, it's it's a full family outing when you do it, that kind of thing. And what's all is involved? And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm amazed of thinking about. Imagine having. To, that's doing something special. Imagine having to deal with this constantly, mm-hmm. all the time. Well, imagine having to do that just to go to church. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. there's not a church on every corner that right. has a special needs ministry. They can't. They don't have the luxury of being able to walk into the church that they've gone to for 30 years mm-hmm. and have a ministry ready to take care of their child. Mm-hmm. And so for some families, it's a matter of driving 30 minutes or an hour one way just to find a church that has volunteers who are willing to watch after their child to allow them to go to service. Mm -hmm. And it might mean getting up at 5 o'clock to get all the meds and everything done, Mm -hmm. driving, finding a parking spot. And so if they finally come to our church Mm -hmm. and then we're like, "Eh," you know, can't really do that, or let's make it a little bit more difficult for you to get from your car to our building. Yeah. Then they're done. Yeah, that's it. They're not going to spend the time and energy to go and do something, especially church, um, where they don't feel loved and accepted, and where it's not made comfortable and welcoming for them. That's my big passion: is that yeah. churches have got to start looking at this, and not everyone can come to Stonebriar or Bentry. Mm-hmm. Not everyone wants to come to Stonebriar or Bentry. Mm-hmm. We're, we all have different churches for different reasons, and. Every church should have some sort of ministry, whether it's defined or not defined, to be able to love on these families whenever they walk in their door Hmm. so that that legacy of attending church and building a relationship with Christ will continue from there on out. Now, go ahead. I was going to say, just from a a person with an adult that lives with mental illness, too, they may feel like they don't fit. And mm-hmm. their schedule may feel like it doesn't mm-hmm. fit. Church happens typically on a Sunday morning, and a lot of people that are taking psychiatric drugs, that's a difficult time for them mm-hmm. to get up. So um, to get a body to church, <laughs> they may not me- be fully mentally there, but it, would, it helps the family so much if the whole family can be there together. Mm-hmm. To have the acceptance, and I think that's what you're talking about, if, um, if a church, even if they don't have the special needs ministry, if they're if they can make allowances for making it okay for mm-hmm. a child and the family to come into the the church and to have somebody that can be partnered with that child or for a family that's coming in with someone that's living with mental illness who may be not totally awake almost still in their pajamas or in their clothes that they've worn for 3 days mm. because that's how they dress themselves and to not have that be awkward and strange mm-hmm. and weird and have mm-hmm. people stare at you, but to just have them be part of the body. Mm-hmm. And yay, we celebrate that they got there today. And how can we help you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now there, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the people who are around the person who has the special need, but I take it ministering actually to the special need person is also an important part of this equation. Uh, and 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 ministering directly to them, giving them someone else other than the parents or the caregiver with whom they spend, you know, an inordinate amount of time. Um, um, uh, 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 other outlets for relationships. I'm, I suspect that's pretty important in this 
in this conversation. Oh, absolutely. And not only outlets for relationships with other children or adults with um, disabilities like themselves, but also just peers mm-hmm. um, and other adults to speak into their life, but more importantly, to help them build a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. We believe that every child that comes in, every adult that comes into our ministry, they're coming into the church for a reason, and our goal is to point them towards Christ, and that they all are actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in every um, Sunday morning class that we have, we present the gospel, and we do it in different ways. We do it in ways that are appropriate for their um, cognitive level, Mm -hmm. but we want them to develop relationships with us so that they trust us. We want them to develop relationships with other children in the classroom so that they enjoy being there and love coming. But more importantly, we want them to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ and know that that He has a purpose and a plan for their life, and that He died on the cross for them, and that He is so loving towards them, and that He wants them to go on and do good and great things in this world. And so we're hoping that while mom and dad have a little bit of respite and Mm -hmm. enjoy church and worship on their own, that their children are able to do the same through worship, through teaching, through crafts, through games, through relationships, but that that's all pointing towards a relationship. Now, you're going to point Jesus people Christ. to Christ, and you're also going to point them to community in the midst of that because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's Absolutely. that's that's where they're going to see um, the the presence of God and sense the presence of God in powerful ways. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's the children's side of it. I want to shift gears because this is really a completely, in some ways, different discussion now that we're turning our attention mm-hmm. to, and that is the, the adult situation, the mental illness situation, particularly the situation that's like what you've been through, Michelle, which is you're going through life, it's swimmingly normal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in normal mm-hmm. and, you know <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden um, something comes in and you realize that this isn't <laughs> I didn't sign up for this mm-hmm. um, uh, talk about talk about what that experience is like and what a church should and shouldn't do in the midst of that because I imagine there are mistakes that people make in mm-hmm. dealing with this as well yeah now you've got two sides of the picture you've mm-hmm. got the person who is living with the mental illness, they're on their own journey as they explore what's really happening to them and mm-hmm. learning to accept the illness mm-hmm. themselves with mental illness. That's mm-hmm. that's key, mm-hmm. is that they, okay, I've, I've got whatever the diagnosis is, and here's my treatment, treatment plan, and I'm the patient, and I'm the one that decides whether I progress or not. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got the family members, and the family members are going through their own swirl of emotions and it, need to accept and their needs as far as caregiving. Um, now I forgot the question. <laughs> well, uh, no, 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 to take us through the process of what it is that a church can do that, to help, to, yeah, to help, the and, then, and then how did, what kinds of mistakes can a church make in yeah. dealing with this? A key mistake that can happen is that in as this family is learning to understand the mental illness, and as the person who's just been diagnosed is still acting a little strangely differently than the typical population, the church gets afraid Mm -hmm. and begins to exclude. Mm -hmm. And there have been churches that have asked someone to leave or a family to leave. It's probably happened with um, physical illnesses as Mm -hmm. well as mental illnesses because there's no way to integrate them. In Mm -hmm. the way our church is set up, there's no place for you. Mm -hmm. It would be better if you leave. Mm -hmm. And they try to say it as kindly as they can, but unfortunately, 
they get banished from a church mm-hmm. and the, try to find another one. And oftentimes there's not. If there's mm-hmm. not one close or they don't feel comfortable. Um, for me, what was so helpful is not being isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, there are support groups that are so helpful for people and family members that are living with mental illnesses. Most of them aren't Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, within the church, I found that my support system, my friends in the church, really helped me get through when I was dealing with the acceptance of mm-hmm. the mental illness, um, and which highlighted for me how important it is to have those real, honest relationships, mm-hmm. people that could just let you cry, mm-hmm. um, people who weren't trying to fix it, mm-hmm. but were there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what a church can do. Make sure as much integrate that family, and when there when there's been that diagnosis, to circle around them mm-hmm. and ask how you can support them best. For the pastor to be educated enough to when you when that person's sitting in your office mm-hmm. and help, you know, mm-hmm. we've just gotten this diagnosis. Now what? To take them to j- listen, take them to Jesus, remind them that this isn't. Um, consequence for sin, Mm -hmm. that this is a fallen world that we live in, and how can we come alongside you in this, you know, to support them. For my husband, um, he had to navigate his own understanding of, all right, I've got this mental illness, Um, I have to be a good patient, now how do I integrate into the church? We had a huge blessing early on for him. Um, Serving is so helpful. People, Mm -hmm. part of community isn't just sitting in a group together, it also is serving. Um, People with mental illnesses often are highly intelligent. Mm -hmm. Um, So trying to find what is your area of expertise, what would you enjoy doing? Lots of them, my husband is on disability, so he doesn't go and clock in at a job every day. He has much more disposable income than I, or disposable time than I do. Uh, Early on, our pastor asked him to do studying for him, to background study Mm -hmm. for the sermon series he was doing. Well, Mike had all kinds of time to be doing that, and he loved it. Mm. So he would compose every week a whole um, paper on here's the background information for this book of the Bible that we're that you're preaching through, so, and he would submit that to the pastor, and that gave him value. Hmm. So for churches to be creative and to get to know the family and find a way that they can serve and be part of the body, that that was a huge That's thing huge. right at the beginning yeah. and helped Mike to feel like, okay, this is going to work. I can, I'm still part of the church mm-hmm. now. So, so you're you're in the midst of adjusting. You know, in the back of my head, there's the church that has you know sixty or hundred people in it. That's the single pastor. Yeah. They're located in a, maybe they're located in a rural environment, or maybe they're in a particular community, and all of a sudden this happens to them. And they and and their tension is, we have no way of being able to cope and deal with this. I take it that that part of part of being sensitive to that is that as a church having thought enough about this to know how to do the handoff if I can say mm-hmm. it that way mm-hmm. um, uh, in other words to say we really aren't equipped to deal with you but here is a church that we know mm-hmm. can handle would be a terrific community for you to be a part of and we're willing to introduce you and, and, and kind of open the door. Is that a helpful way to deal with it from the church's standpoint? or do the, I don't or know. Is the, <laughs> or is the challenge to, to say, all right, this is in our community now and we're going to go for it and try and see what we can do? That's preferable. I like number two okay. there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. And then allow the family to help the mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. understand how to how can we deal with this together rather than looking at it as a problem mm-hmm. and we don't have a way to handle this problem so let's send you someplace else. Mm-hmm. No, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And we're this illness happened together. to the whole yeah. body, right. not just to you as a family. It happened mm-hmm. to all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's figure this out together. 
Yeah. Okay. Totally agree. It's interesting because <laughs> uh, I suspect that that's the the default category that we're talking about is the handoff. Mm. Yes. And, and, and or even worse, the default category is we have we can't help you. We're done. You well, know? and I think how that happens too yeah. is the people, the family mm-hmm. is looking for um, some community. They're looking to fit mm-hmm. and look around, look around, have different conversations and can't find it, and they just slip away. Mm-hmm. More often than not, I bet they're not asked to leave. Mm-hmm. They just realize this isn't a place that we're going to fit. And no one's mm-hmm. making any effort to do any adjusting on their end right. so that they're, they're isolated. Yeah, so that that's sad to me. So for a yeah. church of mm-hmm. 100 people, you know, they know each other. Mm-hmm. And when this happens, to take it on as a, okay, this is our commitment as a family together, and we're going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And it's going to change. It's mm-hmm. going to change from year to year, and things are going to change. The church body is going to change, and there's going to have to be adjustments made. And it's just continually molding that to make it fit that one individual. Mm-hmm. And then another individual might come along with the exact same diagnosis, and you think, okay, we've got this because mm-hmm. we've done this. Mm-hmm. They're going to break that out. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, They're going to break the mold, and they're going to need something different. Mm-hmm. It's all about just allowing the church body to kind of meld and form. So there's and, a flexibility to this that's Absolutely. very, very important. Yeah. We and have also the no standard the... things for special needs. It uh-huh. is all about being flexible mm-hmm. on that child, because mm-hmm. we can't say that for this diagnosis, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, because they're all so Everyone's different. A little different. That's mm-hmm. the yeah. joy of it. Hmm. Um, um, my old memory, I can't remember now what I was going to say. <laughs> That's okay. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Uh, look, look, uh, uh, we we've talked a little bit about the adjustment for the adult and f- and for the spouse, but there's a whole other category here that I think is pretty important and also is probably also at the same time pretty tricky. And that is that if this does happen in a marriage, then you probably have children who are also having to adjust to what's going on. Uh, go through and again, kind of two scenarios. What advice do you have? in relationship to what the children can expect to go through. And then again, what does the church do in rallying around Mm -hmm. those children as they're going through this? Mm -hmm. What I was going to say is that the church isn't the only source of support, Mm -hmm. that there are programs in the community as well as national programs that help families. In the area of mental illness, there is the National Alliance on the Mentally Ill. Mm -hmm. So there are groups associated with them. There are online sources. Mm -hmm. Um, There are uh, Doctors, Mm -hmm. you know, the the person who lives with the mental illness has counselors and doctors mm-hmm. that they're seeing. So the church is just one area in a, in a multi And I take it you're going to say that because what you're going to say to the church of, say, the 100 people is, don't think you have to face this alone. There actually, is, no. there actually is there actually is a box and, and a reset of resources from which you can draw that can help you navigate this so that you don't end up having to isolate the person who's in right. your community. And that relates to the, the family. Yeah. So um, with the children, um, having 
being able to be honest and processing. You know, that I, I always encourage families talk about the illness, talk about what the diagnosis is and how that makes mom or dad act or makes the sibling act. That it's because it's in our brain and our brain is the thing that regulates everything about us, the words that we say, the movements that we make. When the brain is sick, then all of those things that we see in a person look different. Mm -hmm. And to make that a normal conversation in a family, that goes a long way to um, help the family relax and understand, especially the children, the siblings, to try to understand what's going on with their their sibling. Um, And then these other organizations can help a lot, too, Mm -hmm. to get them connected with those groups in a Sunday school class, to Mm -hmm. give them some freedom to be away from their sibling who may be taking so much attention at home and allow them to be with kids their, their own age that are doing normal activities, um, to give them a little breather from the attention that this other one gets. Yeah, we did a sibling class last semester, and it was so interesting to pull all of the siblings aside and to we walked through some um, designated lessons every week, but we just talked to them a lot about what their life is with a brother or sister with special needs. And to my surprise, whenever we said, what is the one thing about your sibling that makes y'all different? We really wanted them just have an open and honest conversation about that. And I was expecting some of the typical things like we can't go to a movie, we can't go to a restaurant, you know, he's loud in public and it embarrasses me. Every single one of them, their answer was, I get to go to um, Johnny and Friends family camp and mm-hmm. I wouldn't get to go if I didn't have a sibling with special needs. Hmm. Or I get to go and do this and I wouldn't get to do that if I didn't have a sibling with special needs. It was all very positive. It was all those things that they get to do because they have a sibling with special needs. And I think so many times we're so ready for the negative mm-hmm. that we forget that some of these kids, these siblings, love the fact that they have a sibling with special needs because mm-hmm. that makes them different than everyone else. And mm-hmm. they get special privileges. Yes, they have a lot of heartache. But the things that stand out in their mind are those special privileges that they get. They get to go first in line at certain things because they're with this child with special needs. They get to go on make-a-wish trips because their sibling has special needs. So mm-hmm. there's so many advantages. And it was just so precious to hear them recall all the advantages and none of the disadvantages. Interesting. The, I'm, I'm going to do a slight transition here, and I want to deal with a with a category. And I don't even know if you all classify this in special needs or not. That's kind of why I'm asking the question. And that is, and we're still with the, dealing with particularly now with adults and perhaps teenagers. You know, we're gonna we're gonna host a, an event at the out of the center on April 20th called Ministry of the Marginalized, and we've asked Kay Warren to be the plenary speaker, as you all know. And of course, she's been through a son who went through depression and eventually committed suicide, a very tragic story that was lived out very much in public. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's had all kinds of interesting things to say about her process, both when she was going through that and in the aftermath. She's just recently written an article, for example, for Christianity Today, um, urging people who send Christmas cards to people who've been through this experience to not pretend that nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very interesting piece in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my question is, and because I actually don't know the answer to I'm asking a question I don't know the answer to. When someone is moving through into severe depression, is that considered a special need situation in your churches? Or how? To, where's, the, where's the bucket that that situation mm-hmm. drops in? Because that seems to me to be 
almost this floating thing out there that the church kind of doesn't know what to do with. And this experience, I think, uh, that that Kay went through is an example of a church struggling to cope with this. Yeah, that, uh, our churches have people living with mental illness in them. At any one time, 25% of our population mm-hmm. has a mental illness. Mm-hmm. So one out of four people sitting in the church service on Sunday is struggling with it somehow. Um, we need to be equipped as a church for how to recognize the signs. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's that's what mm-hmm. I'm fishing for. Yeah. yeah. So um, as, certainly the staff of churches mm-hmm. can be trained. Mm-hmm. And then talking about it, too, mm-hmm. helps make it normal that people live with depression. And probably there's a spectrum for special needs. Mm-hmm. There's also a spectrum for mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. And it can go all the way from I'm having a blue day mm-hmm. to postpartum dis- depression. But if you keep going on this line, this spectrum, it'll end up at the psychotic behaviors that we see on the news mm-hmm. with the mass killings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People are at all different places on that line. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look the same. Bipolar mm-hmm. doesn't look the same in mm-hmm. one person as in another. Mm-hmm. But there are certain signs that are danger. So. Um, the the clearest one is is this person a danger to themselves or to others mm-hmm. um, that would be a person if they're in a, cl- a sunday school classroom it could be a teenager in a sunday mm-hmm. school classroom who is beginning to be unruly they're acting out toward other people mm-hmm. or it might be a leader noticing that a teenager has pulled back mm-hmm. and is totally in the qui- in a corner quiet sullen whatever the expression is Take note of that, mm-hmm. and if that if you're seeing that there's a pattern, it doesn't just happen automatic. It doesn't just happen in a flash, right? And then mm-hmm. suddenly this person commits suicide, right? It's I, I've never heard that. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So this is happening through time. It's a gradual process. People are observing it happen. The family is people, uh, teachers at school, t- um, teachers in the uh, classroom at church. Take note of it, and then call the parent and have mm-hmm. a little talk with the parent. I've noticed this about this about your child. Have you noticed it? And don't be afraid to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's you know mm-hmm. we we've shy away from it for some reason when it's an illness in our brain and we're noticing the behaviors that happen because our brain is not firing correctly. Let's talk about it and see if we can curtail something from happening before it happens. Yeah. So the sensitivity is really important here in in staying alert. I mean, it is d- depression is a is a very tricky animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, let me be a little bit more clear. Okay. So if a child is losing weight, mm-hmm. okay, if they're sleeping too much mm-hmm. or not at all, mm-hmm. um, if they're if they ha- have a history of psychosis at all, if you're starting to see or hear from them that they're hearing voices or they're seeing things, that's a danger signal. Uh, if they've ever taken medication before for psychiatric illness, that's something to be looking for too. Mm-hmm. So all of those things working together, if you're noticing any of those, any of those, talk about it with the parent or, or talk about it with the person, the adult that, that is in your classroom and don't shy away from it. Yeah, and, and, and another clue oftentimes is extreme withdrawal. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, so, and not just talk about. Sorry, one more yeah. thing. Not yeah. just talk about. But you know, it, it may be a situation where, y- if they're a danger to themselves or to others, that's nine one one. Yeah. You call. The, you call right yeah. now and yeah. and get yes. help. Right. The police departments are trained mm-hmm. to recognize mental illness. So if you're calling the police, you're not doing something bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember in our counseling classes. You know, this goes back. You know, when dinosaurs walked the earth. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, in our counseling classes, we were told, you know, if anyone ever starts talking about contemplating suicide, don't take that as an aside remark. Mm-hmm. Really 
take that seriously, that that's an indication there's something going on, mm-hmm. that that's a real clue mm-hmm. that a person may need real help. And you can press into that mm-hmm. and ask them further, um, I hear I hear what you're saying, and have you made a plan? Mm-hmm. Do you Have you decided how you would do it? Mm-hmm. And that gives you even more of a clue mm-hmm. that if they have, they've got a plan, that's dangerous. Yeah. They're a danger to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it pushes them into the category. Well, it, it it's it's a. I, I mean, you, as you quoted the statistic, one out of four. I mean, that if you just think about that, just think about looking at you know, I, as a speaker at, at a church, mm-hmm. I look out at an audience, I see, you know, the three hundred or six hundred or a thousand or six thousand that I'm speaking to, and you sit there and you think on every row. Mm-hmm. That means on every mm-hmm. row. There is someone who is going through this, mm-hmm. um, and it is a reminder of the of again the fact that we do live in a fallen world, that people are in different places, that there's a lot of pain that expresses itself in a lot of ways. Some people are coping with it well, and other people are struggling with it. and 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 a community is designed to be there uh, to help. You know, you know, we. It's interesting how we think about church. This comes a kind of a full circle thing. You know, we, you think about church as the place where I go and worship God, I, I sing to God, or I go and I study the, hear about the Bible, or the, you know, there, we think about the activities that happen in a church, but actually, the, one of the most powerful things that happens in a church are the relationships mm-hmm. that form the community, that that make the church the church, and that in some ways give the opportunity for the church to be a place that's different. Than, than most other things we're involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the pursuit of genuine community um, is important. And how <coughs> special needs are dealt with in the midst of that is kind of a signal mm-hmm. of, uh, of what it is that the um, – what, what kind of community the church is aspiring to be. Uh, and, and so it's a very, very important area, it seems to me, in, mm-hmm. in that regard. And I'm so glad that – I'm s- sad for the Warrens that they've gone through mm-hmm. the death of their son. But because of their very high profile, mm-hmm. um, they're able to push an issue that has needed to be talked about in the church. And they've done it. I mean, they have mm-hmm. taken it on. And, and, it's, and that's why we invited Kay, because um, I, you know, I watched them years ago on CNN right after this happened walk through the telling of their journey and and what it taught them and where they felt like you know the, the wrestling that always goes on in that kind of a tragic situation you know what could we have done differently is there anything that we could the the the, the struggle with guilt and all this kind of thing and yet at the same time the recognition that they were they were they were in the midst of a very very difficult kind mm-hmm. of situation and to have people uh, deal with it rather than simply, you know, mm-hmm. pretend that it doesn't ex- do the American thing and mm-hmm. put it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, put it on a shelf somewhere mm-hmm. else. Um, that's not how to <coughs> respond. And so that's really why we've invited her to come mm-hmm. a- and speak. Is because we do think she will set the table very, very nicely for the conversation that we need to have and to get churches thinking. And I think. As you suggested earlier, not suggest to churches, okay, the, well, there are, 
there are some special elite churches over here that can handle this, and that mm-hmm. we'll leave it to them, you know, and the rest of us will just sit back and, and, mm-hmm. and watch it, let someone else do it. No, this is something that the churches across the board need to face up to, no matter where you are, and be prepared to deal with. The church has we're such called a, to it. Yeah, yes. and we have such a unique opportunity. Yeah. Actually, it's a, it's a common opportunity throughout the history of the church mm-hmm. that we have a, a, attacked the um, the ills of the world, you know, mm-hmm. the the hospitals, you know, the illnesses that people have had. The church has gone after that and included those folks. Mm-hmm. This um, special needs and mental illness are a couple of areas that the church has not done a good job, mm-hmm. and we have an opportunity now to bring that to the forefront. And this conference will help train pastors and people who are part of churches to be ready to be able to recognize how to come alongside a family that's struggling and how to recognize signs in someone who might have a mental illness and have it be part of the ministry rather than we're going to relegate that to society outside the church walls. And because this knows no socioeconomic Mm -hmm. divide. Mm It's not something that is only going to affect this population of people. It's affecting everyone. It's mm-hmm. affecting, I think, if you look at church staffs now, there are lots on church staffs that have either children with special needs, adults with special needs, spouses with special needs, mm-hmm. mental illness. I mean, it's it's not compartmentalized to this one population. It's mm-hmm. affecting everyone. And so I think that it's just something that we can't – steer away from anymore that it's it's there and it's not going away mm-hmm. until the lord comes back that's right um but it there are a group of people and their families who need jesus and if, if and, and if the statistics on some of these on some of these areas is one in four i mean mm-hmm. it, you, you aren't walking down your block very far before right. you're running into this right and when i started eight years ago the autism rate was one in 115 mm-hmm. and now it's one in 68 mm-hmm. so whether that's more diagnosis or better diagnosis whatever your belief is for why that number is going up so high same thing's happening. It doesn't really matter. It when my husband just... was diagnosed, he was 33, which was right at the typical age that you're diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Hmm. These days, I'm hearing more and more going... the diagnosis mm. is happening in the teenage years. Hmm. Now, he recognizes, my husband, mm-hmm. that there was, it was going on back then. There was no diagnosis. Right. Now, we're either getting better at diagnosing or it's happening more. I don't know. Um, kids are being diagnosed mm-hmm. with mental illnesses very frequently. But it doesn't matter why it's happening or what's causing it. The fact is that everybody it's has to deal with it and, when it happens. And we've right. we've got to be there at, as a church to support them. Well, I thank y'all for coming in and being a part of this conversation. We just remind people that uh, for the conference, for those who will hear this before the date April twentieth, uh, that Ministry of the Marginalized will be a conference that will be held at the seminary. Kay Warren's the plenary speaker. There will be a series of workshops dealing with a variety of areas that help churches and communities think through how to deal with this area so that they're able to to cope with whatever uh, God sends their way, mm-hmm. if we can say it that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we uh, want to thank you, uh, Megan and Michelle, for coming in and being a part of the conversation, helping us think through special needs. And we thank you for being a part of the table and hope to see you again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.